After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Let's bow just a moment for prayer. Our Father, bless the reading of this scripture, this marvelous text and promise of the coming again of our Lord. Who's coming? We anxiously wait. In Jesus' name, amen. You and I were not there on the Mount of Olives when Jesus was taken back to heaven. I've been there since. I've stood three times on the Mount of Olives. Nothing magical about the mountain, but wondering, is this the spot? I've been there at 4.30 in the morning and watched the sunrise over Bethany where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived in whose home Jesus spent so many marvelous hours. And I've stood with the group as we watched the sunrise as it does early over from the east in Jerusalem. And watch the sun's rays bathe down on the Mount of Olives and on down into the Garden of Gethsemane. And I fanned out my people that I had with me. In that place, John chapter 18 describes so well. There was a, the Kidron Valley and across the valley there was a garden. A grove where there were many olive trees. Where the scripture says Jesus often went with his disciples to pray. And I know you understand there's nothing magical about being there, but I've cried like a baby. As I stood where my Lord prayed and fanned out our people among the olive trees and just left them alone for a while, and invariably someone will start up the song. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And I thought about that promise, being a 20th century man and having the same difficulty that you have living in our automobiles and space travel and all of that in realizing in my life one day my Lord will come again in like manner as you've seen him go. I would have loved to have been there, you understand, and so would you have. As that cloud received Jesus, it would have been a marvelous sight. It would have left you chilled all of your life. It affected those apostles. They were never the same. After watching Jesus go up and then getting reassured that he's coming again in like manner as you've seen him go.
but I'll be there. And so will you when Jesus comes again. In Revelation 1, 7, the Bible says, Behold, He comes with clouds, and every eye will see Him. Even those that pierced Him. And all nations will wail because of Him. And that promise tingles my spiritual spine more than Acts chapter 1 and verses 9 to 11. For I am promised if Jesus comes... Before you get back home, we'll all see Him. I'm promised if He delays His coming for a thousand years or a million years, no matter where you have lived and died, they may have scattered your ashes in the ocean. But when my Jesus comes again, every eye will see Him. One of the songs we sing, and I think about a lot of these, we've just sung. I had his image sing this song. I, I was over at a, some of our folks' house one night, and they were singing some of those old songs, you know. You get them out of the old Stamps Baxter books and some of those a long time ago. And I stumbled across for the first time the song that I had his image sing for you. I bowed on my knees and said, Holy. And I must tell you the story of the song and then reread some of the words of the song we just sang together. For all of that is coupled to try to get us in the frame of mind of so living and so focusing our spiritual lives that we'll want more than anything on earth to so live so we can see Jesus when He comes again. But the song is about a fella who's done like some of you have done. He... Uh, he dreamed that he would have died and gone to heaven. And he's looking around and it's beginning to dawn on him. I am, as a matter of fact, in heaven. And all the things you read about in the Bible, the streets of gold and the gates of pearl and all those things he was witnessing for the first time. And you can imagine it's tingling his existence. And in the verses of the song it describes, they're telling him, I saw Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Mark and Luke and his loved ones and all over the place. And he can go anywhere he wants to go and he'll never get tired and never die. And they say to him, what would you like to see? And what would you like to see, dear friend? The first day, the first second, you are in heaven. And you know what he said in the song? I want to, I want to see Jesus. And he realizes immediately that when we finally get there, that's a common thing. Of course you can see Jesus. I can't see dignitaries today. But I can see Jesus. He says, I want to see Jesus. And Jesus walks in for him to look at him face to face. And all he could do was bow on his knees and say, Holy and clap his hands and say, glory, glory to the Son of God. I want that vision for my life and God's people on this earth. I want to see an audience of people at the soul winning workshop who are so excited about Jesus, the gospel of Jesus and the church of Jesus and the way of Jesus. And sharing the gospel with people who do not have Jesus. 
We're so excited to see Him because that's what it will be. That when we're there, we'll just fall on our knees and cry holy. What else could you say? And clap your hands and say glory. Glory to the Son of God. Oh, we sang a moment ago. Oh, I want to see Him. Look upon His face. There to dwell forever in His saving grace. On the streets of glory. Let me lift my voice. Cares all past. Home at last. Glory to God. Ever to rejoice. Marvin Phillips, somebody said to me earlier tonight, and I really appreciate it. They said to me, one fellow that I don't even know his name, touched my chest here. And he pulled his finger down this way and he says, cut yourself open tonight, Marvin, and let us see what's in there. He didn't know what I was going to say. And I'm preaching, I think, different than maybe I do. You do things to a speaker up here on the stage. You pull out all the screaming and hollering, and all of it is good. I love doing it as well as anybody there is on the earth. But while I'll get carried away and machine machine gun voice will get going and I'll scream and holler a bit, I really do want to open up my heart tonight and let you see me and, and let you feel the same thing about wanting to see Jesus. Marvin Phillips, why do you want to see Jesus? Why would the people in this audience, being who we are, living where we do, what would get us involved in saying, I want more than anything in the world. At any cost, whatever it takes, do anything, give up anything, pay any price to see Jesus. What would make you do that? Why, friend, in the words of another song that's in our book, no one ever cared for me, like Jesus. There's some words of that song I wanted to share with you here tonight. We shall see the king someday. That's one of them. I, I just copied a bunch of the hope to copyright people, you know, happy about this. But I, I just copied me out a few songs. I'd like to tell you what I think of Jesus. Since I found in him a friend so strong and true. I tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. I'm one, and I'm speaking for you too. You understand? I'm one of the most privileged people on this earth. There are a lot of young men coming along preaching. I was on the way over here tonight. And a, and a sweet young couple early in, in their early 20s. And they're in the audience here tonight, I'm sure. I want to meet you, Marvin. Shaking my hand. And his wife said, he preaches in the church and told me where they were in some little town, I think, in Arkansas. And I said to his wife, is he a good preacher? And she beamed and she said, he's a good preacher. And I thought, boy, you've got the best asset any preacher could ever have. A wife that believes in you. And people ask the question, you know, how do you get to preach for a large church like Garnett? Or how do you do this and that? I don't know how except Jesus because I didn't earn it. I'm not here because of talent or preparation or anything, but the mercy and grace of a mighty Jesus. I know who I am. 
That's why you don't have any trouble getting the big head, because you know who you are. And God gives preachers wives who know who you are, so if you try to act like somebody you're not, they will remind you. (laughs) Greatest asset, and that's one of the reasons. Dot and I grew up together in San Antonio, Texas. In South San Antonio, Texas, little suburb. And a boy who couldn't read before his senior class. And, and I get from that time until this. The Lord allows me to stand in pulpits and preach Jesus. And if it weren't that, I'm dazzled by all of that. I'm dazzled by what the Lord allows me to be and to do. And to get in on, you see. I'm dazzled like Paul was when he said, well, I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but the Lord spared me and He allows me to preach. But ladies and gentlemen, while I'm sharing my story to you, my story's amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was lost. I'm found. I was blind. And now I see. But my story is your story. I'm just like you. We're all just like us. Everybody in the audience is just exactly the same. There's no one here tonight that deserves the great love and mercy of an almighty God. And we get it anyway. I want to see the one who's been so merciful in my life. I want to look into the eyes, praise God, of the Jesus who said, I want you in my family. Hebrews 4.13 used to scare me to death. It says, All things are naked and open under the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. And you know, that says the Lord sees everything. He knows everything. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. You know, just like Santa Claus. And you go out of town and He sees you. And night falls and the eyes of God see in the dark. And that scared a lot of people into thinking, boy, you know, i got to be so careful because God will see and slap me down and punish me in hell for an eternity. And then I started growing up in the love of Jesus and I began to realize that that's the greatest thing I've got going for me. I've got a Jesus who has seen behind all my masks and don't we wear... So many masks. And, and I love you, and the more I love you, the more of my masks I will take off and trust you more and be myself, but I never take off the last one. Because if you see me as I really am, and you don't like me, I am ruined. So I play my little games on the earth with you, trying to impress you. And my Lord Jesus has seen behind my last mask, naked and open, warts and all. And he said to the Father, I want him. I want that one in my family. Can you take that personal? Can you realize that who you are and what you've done or haven't done and you've sinned so long or done this or done that in all of your individual circumstances in this audience? Can you realize? That the greatest thing you have going for you is God knows all about you and the reasons why you've done everything that you've done and no one ever cared for me like Jesus. 
He who knows us best loves us most. My Jesus loved me when I was unlovable, and you too. My Jesus died for me when I was detestable. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, He knew already about you and what you would do, and He had you in mind the same as He did the people that were alive 2,000 years ago. So He knows you by name. Scripture says He knows the number of the hairs of your head. He wants you to know that you are known, folks. Known, known. He knows everything. And then comes on and saying, you know what? You are worth dying for. The cross of Jesus says two beautiful things. Number one, it tells you that sin is bad stuff. Don't anybody think, well, I ain't done anything wrong. Liar! We're all sinners. And your sin was so bad. Here's how bad your sin is. It took the death of Jesus on the cross to cleanse you. That's how bad sin is. But that He was willing to pay that price shows how valuable He thinks you are. How's your self-esteem now? Tie your self-image. James Dobson in his book about what wives wish their husbands knew about women spells out that the greatest problem among women generally is low self-esteem. And their husbands need to realize that to build it up. And I believe that men have exactly the same problem and tie that self-esteem to Jesus. You're not somebody because you're so great. You're somebody because He's so great. Sit up straight and look, raise that chin, not in egotism, but in praise to the God who said, I love you, I know you, I love you, and I'll die for you, and I want you in my church, I want you in my family. I'm preparing heaven for such as you. Praise God for a Jesus like that. I just got to see you. I want to look on his face. Let's read some scripture. In 2 Corinthians 5, to get away from that lovely text for a moment, I want to look at the ten verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, you got that? 2 Corinthians 5, 1. If the earthly tent we live in, this body, is destroyed, we've got a building from God. An eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we're clothed, we'll not be found naked. For while we're in this tent, we groan and are burdened. Isn't that right? Isn't that the way we live? With all of our problems, we're groaning and we're burdened with all of our problems. Because we don't want to be unclothed, but we want to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Whatever good we've got here is going to be swallowed up by what's so much better we can't even imagine it. Now it is God who made us for this very purpose. See, God has the original line, you ain't seen nothing yet. He's the one with all the workshops Danny you've attended. And with all of the 
with all the joy you've re- the mountain peaks you may have had anywhere in the world says, I'm glad you're enjoying all of my blessings, but you ain't seen nothing yet. One of these days, all this stuff is going to be swallowed up by life. Now, it is God who made us for this very purpose and gave us the Spirit as a deposit. Guarantee it. He's the God of the guarantee. Guaranteeing what is to come. I go through life, don't you? Not sure about what's to come. Not even really thinking much about death except to dread it. And I'm a human like you are, and so I dread dying. But dying, if I could only see it like it really is, dying is the door. Where you pass from one nice room into a fantastic room. And the Holy Spirit of God has been given to us as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we're always confident and know that as long as we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. With all of our blessings, we know He's here with us like He promises. We can pray to Him. But we're really away in, in, in the real sense. We live by faith and not sight. We're confident. God wants us confident, folks. I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Don't you like that? I like that term. What does it mean to die and go over there? It's to go home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him. Whether we're at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. I want to give you tonight three little points to look for in the coming of Jesus. I want to try, when we've talked philosophically and theologically about heaven, I want us to see in a way that everybody in this audience can grab hold of with your spiritual teeth and say, now I can understand that and I need that. See, because of our read you, Revelation 21, about gates of pearl and streets of gold. I'm happy about that, you understand? But I frankly confess to you, in the intimacy of this little family circle, I don't care whether those are mud roads in heaven. I want to get there. I don't care if I live in a chicken shack. I want to be there. So when we're talking about a mansion in heaven, I'm happy about that. And I'm thankful for the promise that I just want to be there. And what are some things that this audience can grab hold of and say, Marvin, I want to be in a place like that. And I'm going to give them R, okay, so you remember easy. Three things. And number one, when Jesus comes, there is release. From this frail body. I'm proud of our bodies and proud of what we're able to do physically. But I'd like you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we'll read a little bit about this release. When Jesus comes, what's good about when I want to see Jesus, what's going to happen to this audience here? And I tell you tonight, there's going to be a release. From this frail, limited, handicapped body. And there's no one in this audience except handicapped people. We are all handicapped, limited people. It begins in verse 42, 1 Corinthians 15. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown is perishable. And it's raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. 
it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but this thing is going to be raised a spiritual body. There's a natural, there's a spiritual. The first Adam became a living being, I'm ad-living a bit. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. Verse 47, the first man was of the dust of the earth, the second from heaven. Verse 49, and just as we born the likeness of the earthly man, we're going to bear the likeness of the man from heaven. We're going to be like Jesus. What's his body like? I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood, that's all I've got, see, that you can look at and see. And I look out and see flesh and blood. I can't see much blood. I just see flesh. Don't see the bones. I know they're there. You understand? But I don't see it. I just see the flesh. But flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither the perishable inherits the imperishable. Now listen, I want you to see a mystery. We're not all going to sleep, but we're all going to be changed in a flash, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. The trumpet is going to sound, and the dead in Christ are going to be raised imperishable, and we're all going to be changed, because the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. Let me put my finger down there and talk about what we're talking about. Some lovely Christians up there that we're interpreting for tonight because they're unable to hear with their ears. And so they speak in sign. And the day is going to come when it doesn't matter whether you can speak or not with your mouth. We will be released from all of that limitation. There won't be any more of that. I will speak with them and look upon them. And they're blind people in this audience. One lovely blind brother comes from, well, last year he came from up north and this year from Dallas. And his, and his C&I dog, Adam. And we're going to look upon one another when we stand before it. Release! And then there's the cripple people in their wheelchairs. And we get older and we wear glasses and our backs are bent. And we're crippled and there's crutches. And there's amputation. And there's disease. And all through this audience, every last one of us have something in one way or another wrong with us. We are perishable. And every breath we breathe, we're one step and one breath closer to, to the time we breathe our last. And I jog this old body around the block, and I feed it vitamins, and I take diets, and I do that, and all I whip that thing into shape, and I'm losing, and I always will lose because I've got a perishable tent wrapped around my soul. And I look forward to the day when I'm released, and nobody gets tired. Are you tired? Three days of this? No sleep in Tulsa. Shortest nights in the world are in Tulsa. During the workshop. I don't know why we can't plan it some other time. Shortest nights are during the workshop. And you're tired. You're struggling to listen to me tonight. And some of you have given up the fight. The Spirit's willing. The flesh is weak. And ladies and gentlemen, beside all these other handicaps we've got, we're all handicapped in the fact that we can't express our love to one another. That's one of the greatest handicaps there is. And we can't apologize. And we can't love anyway. You know, in spite of the way we're treated by one another. And we try and we try and have all these limitations. A dear lady friend of mine in the Garnett Church who's now dead and gone to be with the Lord told me one time, heaven to me is that nobody misunderstands anybody. 
anymore. Isn't that great? Have you ever been misunderstood? Have you ever had a, a, a division between you and one of your friends? Things are not right between you. And you say, I gotta make that right. I gotta go over and apologize. And you say, listen now, 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 now John, here's what I really meant. And you make it worse than it was before. We're just limited. We're just in the prison of all of the bondage that we have in the flesh. And the Bible says one day it's all going to be released. Verse 53. And the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable. And the mortal puts on immortality. And when this all happens, then shall come to pass the true saying, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be unmovable, always abound in the work of the Lord, because you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I can latch on to that. I don't care what the streets are made out of. I don't care what my mansion is like or whether it's a mansion or a hut or a tent or whatever, but I can latch on to the fact that one day we're all going to be free and released from every physical limitation there is in the world. No deformity, no handicaps in heaven. And then the second R, when Jesus comes, that's what they said, wasn't it? Ye men of Galilee, why are you standing gazing up there? This Jesus that you see going up is going to come again in like manner as you've seen him go. And what's going to happen? And they loved him like we love each other. Like I sense with the 11 years that we've all been together, there is a love that goes between all these maybe nameless faces from all over the world. There is a kinship and a closeness. And Paul had started that church and they loved him. And now he was out traveling and he didn't have these jets and, and vans and all the things that we come in all over the nation. And when they got word, however long it took and in whatever way, hand carried, the letter said, Paul, come see us. Paul, we'd love to see you again. We have great memories about all the preaching and the dinners together, and the praying, and the laughing, and the soul winning, and the baptizing, and all of that. We have such great memories, and we want to see you so bad. Is there any chance you'd come again to Thessalonica? And Paul wrote this church back to say to them, guys, I love you too. Oh, I love you. I like being with you. I like preaching to you and looking out in your faces and seeing people walk down the aisle. I love all of that. And I may, I hate to tell you this, he says, I may never get to come again. I'm, I'm so busy. I've got so much to do. And the Lord's going to come one of these days. And I may never get to see you as long as we live again. And he writes in verse 19, that's the verse you need. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19. But what is our hope and our joy or the crown in which you will glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. Let me read that to you in a couple of translations. King James Version says, are not even you in the presence of our Lord that is coming? 
He's going to see them again. There's going to be in heaven a grand reunion. When we sing, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Brother, we're singing cold heart, warm, loving fact. One more translation reads. It is you. Yes, you will bring us much joy as we stand together before our Lord. Let me give you a couple of stories that you can relate to. They're my stories, but they're yours because I want to challenge your thinking. I want to make you do anything. Make your motivational desire to serve the Lord and be the kind of person you ought to be because of the possibility of reunion again. Of seeing people we love more than life. My family, Rudy said... My family spent seven years in Australia. And there's a little verse back in Mark 10 that says, No one that leaves father or mother, sisters or brothers and all these other things, no one leaves that, but will receive now in this life a hundred times more fathers and mothers. And I never realized how many mothers I would get around the world. And I was in Perth, Australia, and we baptized a lovely silver-haired lady by the name of Laura Kurtz. And she was in her late 70s when she was led to Christ and baptized. And, and almost immediately, you know, she was getting older and, and carrying the canes. We met upstairs. And Laura was always in pain, but you could always ask her, Nana, we affectionately called her, how do you feel? And she would always put on that brilliant smile and say, I feel great. And she did. She wasn't lying. Because, you see, she was talking about the greatness she felt in Jesus. And I loved that woman dearly. Not a week passed that I didn't visit her flat, her little apartment. And we prayed together, you know, and loved on each other. And when she was like nearly 80 years of age... And my family left Australia. Never leave the mission field on a ship. Let me tell you that. Get on a plane and get out of there. But we stood on the deck of that ship saying those long farewells. And then they put everybody ashore. And the last person in Australia I hugged goodbye was my mother in the Lord, Nana Kurtz. She said, my dear son, we loved and cried on each other. And she said, my darling boy. And I knew I'd never see her again. Until I stood before the presence of God. At 94 years of age, she died and went to be with the Lord. I tell you, heaven is sweeter to me because that dear lady will be there. And when I read that I can be there with my loved ones, I'm beginning to realize that my own father in, in, in the flesh, my dad who's been dead for so many years, not much education, he started to preach he worked for the railroad, didn't know good English, but he knew the Lord and he knew the Bible and he'd go out in these little places and preach. He wanted that boy of his to preach more than anything. And when I was in Korea, during the Korean conflict and in the Air Force, the, the Red Cross sent me word, your daddy's dying, come home. And they sent me home. And it prolonged his life. To be carried or to be helped to sit down in that pew and watch this boy preach Jesus. 
My daddy loved me and my daddy wanted me to serve the Lord. He said on his deathbed, serve the Lord. Serve the Lord! And he died. And I tell you, heaven to me, is are not even you in the presence of the Lord at his coming? You got people you want to see? Are there people that you've had to say goodbye to in death? Or over the miles? Or in misunderstanding? Live for Jesus. For when He comes, in the like manner as you've seen Him go, you'll be standing together and it'll be your joy and hope in Jesus Christ. Started to go out jogging one morning early and the phone rang. It was like 5.30. And I thought, should I answer the phone? And I thought I better. And my sister, who's in the audience, answered the phone on the other end and said, Marvin, mother's dead. And you know, I sat down and cried again, just like a baby. And a few hours later, they called back and said, Marvin, would you come to Lakey, Texas and preach your funeral for your own mother? And I thought the shock hit me. You know, how can you do that? The, the love I felt, the loss I felt, we all felt. The loneliness, the finality, things you would never do again on the earth, they all hit me. How can I preach the funeral for my mother? And I begin to think, you know, and all these thoughts begin to take shape. I learned about Samson and Samuel at the feet of my mother in her rocking chair. And she raised her kids right. All of them are Christians. All of them are married to Christians. And every one of their children, old enough to be Christians, are children of the Lord tonight. Every last one of them. And the feeling that began to rise in my heart was thanksgiving for a woman as dear as that lady was. And it pleases me to read in the Bible. What is my joy? Don't we stand together? At His coming. Can you grab that? Are there people that you want to stand next to? I want to tell you something more about my mother before I leave. You get all these mementos, you know. And I'm, and I'm uh, sometime later looking through some of the uh, tapes and memorabilia. And my sister sent me a tape recording. On my mother's birthday, it was her last birthday in February before she died just a few months later. And mother was the kind that lived out in the country, you know, and they tape, and they feel like you have to fill the tape. Have you heard from people like that? they got to fill it all out. got to fill it up. There's some kind of crime if you don't fill out the tape, you know. So every day she'd say, well, we had black-eyed peas today, and the cows are looking good in the field. I'll talk later. And it would start up again. Well, this thing keeps on going, you know. And we got down to the last feet of that tape recording, and she started as in, her, in her 80th year, voice very low. And she started on that tape. I want to tell you this because she started singing this song. And the tape ran out during the song. Here are the last words that I've got of my mother's in her singing. The service of Jesus, true pleasure affords. In Him there is joy without an alloy. 
Tis heaven to trust him and feed on his words. It pays to serve Jesus each day. It pays to serve Jesus. It pays. And the reel was spinning. It was over. Last words of my mother. It pays to serve Jesus. It pays. And ladies and gentlemen, hear me good. It does. For not only release from disease and suffering, but we're going to stand together. You and me, these are the people in this audience. Look at them. Just look at these marvelous people saved by the blood of Jesus. And heaven is sweet because of what it is. It is reunion. And then last of all, not only do we see our loved ones, but the Bible says we see Jesus. 1 John 3. Would you look at that? We're about done. 1 John chapter 3. How great is the love the Father hath lavished on us that we should be called sons of God, children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Now, dear friends, now are we the children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. What do preachers know about Jesus? Nothing. We stand up here so inadequate trying to tell you about heaven and Jesus and the beauty of the gospel. And I tell you, we are as stammering and stuttering as any of you in this audience. And we try to dissect deity and tell you all about it. And that's good that we try. we got to try. we got to do the best we can to read the Scriptures and pray and delve into the heart of the Lord and tell you about Jesus. But we know nothing. I tell you, we're so shallow. But the day is coming when Jesus comes and you're saved because of who you are. You'll look Him in the eyes. We don't know, John says, what we're going to be, but we know this. When He comes, we're going to be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Oh, I want to see Him. Look upon His face. There to sing forever of His saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past. Home at last. Ever to rejoice. It's time to close. Let me read you this. Face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face. What will it be when with rapture I behold Him, Jesus Christ who died for me? Only faintly now I see Him with the darkling veil between, but a blessed day is coming when His glory shall be seen. What rejoicing in His presence when are banished grief and pain and the crooked ways are straightened and the dark things shall be plain. 
face to face. Oh, blissful moment. Face to face to see and know. Face to face with Christ, my Redeemer. Jesus Christ, who loves me so. Face to face shall I behold Him far beyond the starry sky. Face to face in all His glory, I shall see Him by and by. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the greatest reason why every person in this audience ought to be a child of God. It is the greatest necessity and the greatest privilege and opportunity you've ever been given. And I hope and pray if there are lost people in this audience, you wouldn't dare leave tonight without becoming God's child and laying claim to the promises we've talked about here tonight. I hope the fact of the coming King, looking into the face of Jesus, being with Him in glory, will make sure that every one of you Christians, members of the Lord's churches around the world, it motivates you to be faithful. It motivates you to be loving like He was loving. Never bitter, never carping. Always loving. Make motivates you to be serving and sharing. Because there's a great day coming. And we shall see Jesus. By and by. Lord, I hope that there are those of you in this audience that everybody responds in your own way, in your seats, in your hearts. But I hope that when we sing this song of invitation that there's so many who need to be baptized into Christ and begin this walk with Jesus will do it. And all of you that have been shallow or playing games with it will be drawn back to Jesus. And maybe let us pray with you and for you that you might get a brand new start and dedicate again your life to Jesus. Don't miss seeing Jesus. If you'd like to respond to the Lord's invitation, come forward right now while we stand and sing.